Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 31, verses 12 through 16. Psalm 31, 12 through 16. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is the word of God to us this morning. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. May God illuminate our hearts with this truth from his, his word this morning. Thank you. I'd like for us to focus primarily this morning on verse 15 that we just read, which says, my times are in your hands. David, who is our psalmist here, was not only eloquent in his song, but strong in his arms, a mighty warrior and mighty in his deed, as God has recorded it for us in his word. And he wrote this psalm as a review of the way in which God had led him in his, his years. In his youth, you'll recall, he was a shepherd boy, and God had then shielded him in the wilderness from the wild beasts. And as a young man and a conqueror, the daughters of Israel, if you recall, also had met him singing these words to him. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And yet immediately afterwards, his lot changed and he fled being pursued into the, the desert, into caves, as you may also recall, with Saul, the king of Israel, pursuing him from mountain to mountain, searching David and his men out. And once more, the crown was placed uh, upon his head and the multitudes declared their praise to him. And he saw his enemies vanquished and his land at peace. And he gathered the materials for building the, the temple on Mount Moriah, which was a costly edifice to be erected by his son since God told him that he was not qualified to do that because of the blood of war upon his hand. And again, one of his sons rose in rebellion against him, and the people who had bowed their knees to him joined in that rebellion as well. And he left the site which he had chosen on that hill and fleeing to the valley of the Jordan. And scripture says he is... Tears were his meat day and night, in exile from his own nation. He lamented the ingratitude of his people and the deceitfulness of his own son. Yet in the midst of all these revolutions, reviewing his life, he said this, my times are in thy hand. And our lives may not have yet been checkered like David's. We've not known perhaps the heights of prosperity or the depths of adversity that he experienced as the ancient king. 
And we may not have seen so strikingly and so abundantly the goodness of God upon the, the one hand or danger and darkness upon the other. And yet our lives too have been scenes of varied experiences, all of us. And as we reflect upon life at the commencement of a new year, and we conclude that the world around us seems more ominous, doubtless many of us are saying, as did the psalmist, my times are in thy hand. And I feel that if I would be profitable, if it would be profitable for us to look back uh, upon the goodness of God in the past, and if we were to cast a glance into the future, to consider for a few moments in what sense our times are, in fact, in God's hand, and how he has led us, how he, he guides us, and what are his great purposes in, in reference to us. In the first place, we may say this, our times are in God's hands in the sense that he alone has chosen for us the period of the world in which we should live. The time that we now live is chosen of God for each of us in the long history of the ages, the centuries of the past and the centuries to come if God tarries. The whole sweep of time, God in his infinite wisdom has chosen for us that we should live in this period of world history. The fact that you and I have met each other, that we worship together, we say, serve the same God, we're saved through Jesus Christ, it's no coincidence. God has chosen that for each of us and this period of time for us to share. And as we gather in the events and the circumstances mounting around us, it may seem to be earth's closing scene. And yet God has chosen for us for some wise reason this age of the world. And if he has chosen for us this period in the world's history, is it not that we should study what that history indicates, what the age demands, what its let me try that again. Exigency. No. <laughs> How he calls us. Let me say this. Did you ever get to a point where there's just a word that doesn't want to come out? Well, that's it. And that we should feel that placed here, we are to live not as men do centuries ago but that as the world in its advancing history has developed resource after resource that we can measure up to his grand design. Exigencies, that's what I was trying to say. God has placed us in this age that we can make our impression upon it and be prepared to faithfully do his work and the same thought would lead us to consider that not only in this age of the world has our lot been appointed, but on this exact location in the earth's surface. And we sometimes boast that we are Americans and we feel special honor as though in some way we had part of the glory of being 
American citizens, that it was upon us to do that. Yet God has chosen this for us. Our times are in his hands. Whether you were born in this country or God led you to migrate to this country, your time is in his hand at this moment. And why did we not come to see the light of, of India as our birth or China or the islands of the sea or in some place of, of darkness in the world? Why is this land of liberty, this land of plenty, this land of glory, why is it ours at this moment? And even so, Scripture says, Father, for so it seems good in thy sight. We're Americans. We're in this 21st century because God so willed it. We are in this age of civilization, not of our choice, not of our merit, not because we are better or wiser than others, but simply because our times are in his hands in this sense. And again, our circumstances and the direction of our lives upon earth are in God's hands. And as we consider our years, we might ask, why are we spared when so many have fallen? Especially, especially as we look back upon 2020, the bright, uh, the beautiful, the gifted, the, the glorious. Why is it that we live? Because our times are in the hand of God. We live because it is his good pleasure that we should still have a work to do and responsibilities to meet. And not only so, but we will see that our, our times are in his hands if we consider how yeah, impotent, comparatively speaking, we are in respect to all the elements around us. Consider the epidemics, the pandemics, the, the spread over the earth. Thousands have fallen in our cities, and, and friends have been cut down in their, their homes. And the angel of death has passed by, and yet we are spared. And whether you and I will live to close out this year is known only to God. But yet again, our times are in God's hand regarding the opportunities enjoyed both for personal improvement and for the benefit of others. We ought to be thankful for the, the opportunities of improvement we enjoy, and yet they bring responsibilities. For example, if we have the opportunity to learn, it's our duty to learn. God speaks to us through our opportunities. If he's given us minds capable of, of research, if he's given us time and facilities for research, then it is his will for us to understand this world in which we live. If this universe is of God's construction, it's our duty to study it. And we should examine our relations to it and seeing that all these things are given to us to richly enjoy. And as opportunities of improvement are, are given us, so are the opportunities for doing good. And there, there are the, the poor to be relieved, the sick to be com comforted, the downcast to be lifted up. And as we have opportunities, take the weak by the hand. If we are 
joyful, let us extend that joy to others. And if we have light, shed that light on those who are in darkness. And as to the sickness pervading our world, if God gives you a view of this earth, the shadows on it, the darkness overspreading it, the evils encircling it, it is given that we, within our abilities, tackle those evils and be angels of light. And again, we are not our own. The psalmist says, I know that it is not in man that walks to direct his steps. And we may have wisdom, learning, we may have wealth and power and influence, and yet we have not power to lift for one hour the veil which hides the future from our view. The strongest arm cannot lift that veil. The wisest mind cannot penetrate beyond the cloud. God directs our pathway from morn till night, much more from the beginning of the year till its end. And if this is to be a happy year, a year of usefulness, a year in which we live to make this earth better, it is because God will direct our pathway. And how important then to acknowledge our dependence upon God. Our times are in God's hands and not in the hands of our enemies. There may be those who speak badly of us, who misconceive or misrepresent us, who have feelings of unkindness toward us, even hatred, yet our times are so in God's hands that our enemies are held by chains. There's a voice saying to our foes, thus far, but no farther. If God encircles us by his providential power and grace, there are some reflections which we may highlight in the beginning of our duties in the new year. The first is this. First, we ought to feel our dependence on God. Not on man, not on the best laid plans. We should confess that we are in the hands of God, but he requires us to exert our energies as best we can. No one should trust himself to God's guidance without exerting his powers because God has given us that part of the work to do. And what he enables man to do, he never does for us. We're to apply ourselves to the utmost, to be diligent in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're to think what should best be done and how we should best do it. But never forget, never forget that light and wisdom comes from God alone, that he directs the pathway. And though encircling darkness may seem to close around us, it is always light where God's eye rests. It is always light where God's eye rests. A ray from heaven always shines on the path which is placed directly under the guidance of God. And this sense of dependence should keep us in the attitude of prayer. 
Your whole future could be dependent upon a few hours before you. And we may take some step which will change the course of our lives. It's not wise to ask God for, for direction. He alone sees the end from the beginning. He alone sees the infinite connections of events. And if I thought he would drop counsel into my heart, would reveal what way is best, would show me what I should do to be happy here and for all eternity, should I not bow before him and pray? And God, the infinite God, promises that he will hear my prayer, that he will look upon me when I tremble at his word, and that he will direct me when I trust in him with all my heart. There's a kind of painting called a mosaic. It's composed of small pieces of stone or, or glass, almost immeasurably small sometimes. And each piece is by itself worthless. You would crush it under your feet, would naturally pass it by unnoticed. But let the true artist construct the mosaic. Let him take those infinitely small pieces and place them in order. And what a peaceful, beautiful art that it creates. In one sense, we are insignificant. What can we do being so very feeble and ineffective and limited? And what can we accomplish? And yet when the artist of the universe, God himself, takes us and places us in the mosaic of the universe, we realize how small we are, but we are yet a part of his great design. And in the redemption of humanity, the building up of all that is worthy on earth, we have some place, though small. And as the beautiful mosaic would be marred by the omission of the smallest particle, so without us, without you, that painting had been imperfect. But with us, with you, it becomes complete. And let me then bring myself to work just where God designed me to be. Place me just where God wills me to be placed, to do just what he wills that I should do. And small as I am, not the angel Gabriel could fill my place in the great picture which God is working out. If I take this conception into my heart, how meaningful my mission in life becomes. I'm not here without an objective. I'm not here without a home. I'm not here for today and then die. I'm here for all eternity. Here not only to be read and known of men, but to be read and known throughout the ages. And I'm here because God has sent me to do the work that no other being could do but myself. There's not been, had there not been room for, for you, God would not have made you. Had you not been needed in America, had not God placed you in America, 
had you not work in the 21st century had not been born? Were there not room for your intellect and your strength? God had not given them to you. His mosaic would not have been complete. You have a place or sent of God on a mission. If you perform it, God will acknowledge that you've done his will and will someday say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now I ask you, why did Martin Luther move all of Europe in the early part of the 16th century? Men as great as Luther were probably living in obscurity in his day. Luther conceived the idea that God had for the age. He spoke the words God wished to be uttered. He took the steps God wished to be taken. He moved in harmony with God's great designs. And earth will never forget the name of Luther as long as man exists. But look at the folly. Look at the folly of Napoleon. While he worked for God's great purposes of liberty, and freedom, success came to him. And when he became emperor and took the crowns of Europe, when he invaded Russia in his passion for self-aggrandizement, the very stars in their courses fought against him. There was the coming of winter storms earlier than was ever known before. And there were strange combinations to defeat his plans. God moved to defeat him. And why? Because he stepped out of the sphere God had appointed when he ceased to be the apostle of liberty. And because the apostle of tyranny he became. And do not think that God will not work in kind against the forces that now seek to destroy this nation. Our liberties our religious freedoms, and friends, that's just around the corner, I promise you. And our faith. Read the history of the Israelites. And when they went where God directed, the Red Sea presented no difficulty. The Jordan was no obstacle to them. When they lacked food, bread came down from heaven. And when they lacked water, the rugged rock at the touch of Moses' rod sent forth its refreshing water. What if their enemies, like giants, combined against them? They were scattered as chaff. And what if they stood before cities whose towering walls defied their weapons of war? The voice of shouting and joy brought down those walls. And God made them efficient. And when they obeyed God, one person could chase a thousand and make them flee. But when they rebelled, captivity followed them. What a source of comfort is it when we can believe fully that our times are in God's hands, even in the face of all that lies around us. Let enemies misconceive or misrepresent us. Let them gather to destroy us. 
Let them combine in all their power. If God be for us, who can be against us? One of the most glorious truths which God has revealed to us appears to me to be that the wrath of men shall praise him and that the remainder of wrath he will restrain. It may be that the very evils which seem some of us fear are only the process of working out some good. And when I consider this subject as it is revealed to me in God's word, I cannot avoid growing more and more confident as years increase. Tell me of difficulties and, and trials. I know something of them. But this I have learned, that in all ages, the men who have done right have been successful. Just at the moment when darkness seems to be closing in upon man is the time when God strikes like light in his heart and opens before him a clear path. It's out of the lining of the, the blackest cloud that the brightest lightning gleams across the sky. And when the world is encircled in gloom, God sends flashes of thought and power which seems to light it up. And each flash seems to say, what has man to dread? God rules supreme. His hand is on the billows of the ocean. He touches the mountains and they smoke. He rides upon the tempest and makes the clouds his pavilion. And I say to you, when we confide in his power and in his love, all things work together for good. Amen. May God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have opened your word and saw in it that you are in control, our very life is in your hands, your will. Lord, as we see the darkness around us, we know that wherever your eye rests, there is light. And so, Lord, let us rest in that hope. Let us rest in that light in the face of all of the darkness that seems to be creeping in upon us in the early part of this new year. Lord, let us stand firm and find the joy in our love for you keep our eyes steadfast upon you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.